0: Uh, isn't it great when you have spirit anointed and spiritual worship leaders? There's nothing like it, huh? It sets you up for worship yourself. Even if you can't sing well at all, you feel like you're ri- rising up with a team of father and daughter, and even they Burns, you know, uh, <laughs> leads us up uh, to heaven. We always have a beautiful time of worship here at Mount Hermon. I, every year I come... Uh, I've been coming since 1961. So, yeah. You always want to see what the verse is that they put up here. Remember the wonders he has done. I've never seen that one before. Uh, that is, at Mount Hermon. I've seen it in the Bible, I'm sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> remember the wonders he has done. That's a good one for old timers, huh? Remember. It takes a while to remember, but when you remember, there's so many good things the Lord has done in our lives. And. I uh, thank Mike, uh, the, uh, our director, uh, uh, welcoming me, and it's a joy to be with you all. Beautiful to see. A- anybody, they forgot to ask one question. Anybody in here under 60 years of age? I saw about five. Oh, okay. Hey, wait, wait. Keep it up. Keep it up. You? Uh, you're, you're under 60? Wow. You're mature 60. Yeah. All right. I'm back there. Uh, most of us, uh, really mature, then, you know. The others are just young. Uh-huh. But what a blessing. And happy Valentine's Day. Is that, are you supposed to say that? Yeah. yeah? I remember this morning uh, when I was reading my U version in my iPhone, you know, that it said, uh, you know, love is patient and very kind. I thought, why would I say, "Oh, it's Valentine's Day"? I didn't buy a card, but I gave her a big kiss, and uh, I took her with that. I said we had a great dinner tonight, set up no, in California, no less. And here we are, so it's all paid for by somebody else, and uh, so it's been a great, happy Valentine's Day. You get to the point where there's nothing to buy. It's a waste of money. And, you know, there's nothing else. So you just kiss and say, Happy Valentine's, you know. I'm so glad. In Argentina, we don't have... Well, now they've got it. They call it the love day in Spanish. So it's a big deal. But now we're going to be together for a few minutes every so often this weekend. And uh, tonight I want to tell you, uh, I want to talk about five subjects. And the first one tonight is... Revive the Fire, and it's taken from Scripture. You'll see it in a minute. The second one is The Blessing of Being Indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Not a very dramatic title, but I want to come back to that and rejoice. And that would be tomorrow morning, and we're going to talk about some interesting. Then on Sunday morning, I want to talk about a bit of a difficult subject, but it has to be done. What's, why is sin such a big deal? Uh, I was having a dinner on the East Coast. And a youngish guy, looked like 45, handsome, good shape, uh, asked to sit next to me for dinner with one of my sons. And uh, he said, he wants to ask you a question. So we sat down, and uh, I said, you wanted to talk. And there were other people at the table, so we had to talk rather quietly. He said, yeah, I have a question. What's the big deal about sin? Why, why does the church make so much fuss about sin? I thought, hmm, okay. Uh, since then, he's left his wife for another chick. And uh, so now I know why he asked me. But I want to deal with it because it got me thinking, you know, what is the big deal about sin? And it really, we don't talk about it much, and I'm not going to depress you, so come on out. Uh, uh, but I just want us to think creatively how sin and our relationship with God, sin and the people around us, and sin in our own lives. It's really, actually, very productive. You look grim already, but come out, come out, Sunday morning, get up, don't sleep in, come. And I think it's going to be exciting, in a way, in a strange way. And then lastly, no, number four, I want to talk about heaven and the second coming, mostly about heaven, as you know, with the cancer, I thought a lot about heaven. And the way I discovered stuff. I, I always used to preach about heaven in the campaigns. One night, usually the last night, heaven, you know. Uh, but now that I was ready with one foot almost in heaven already, you think about it 50 times faster. And you look at all sorts of Bible verses that talk about it. It is so exciting. And as, as I told Brother Mike, I, uh, I I want to put it out because I think a lot of people have questions about that. You may too, but it's in the Word. It's exciting. Little snippets about heaven. You know the book that has... I'm coming in a second to right now. Mike is getting nervous already, and Dave is going to act up any second. And uh, But, you know, in Revelation mentions heaven the most. Guess what book mentions it second most? Hebrews. Who would have thought, huh? Hebrews talks about a lot about worship and the early covenant and the, the new covenant and so on. But it talks about heaven. I counted it. I've got it written down. I'll tell you. And then lastly, uh, I, I'd like to talk about, uh, how did I call it? I called it Perks for the People of God. I thought that was creative. And uh, <laughs> it, 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 uh, it started when I was reading Psalm 119, one of my favorites. So those are the subjects. So it'll be, tonight, I want to talk about the apostle Paul, dealing with his son in the faith, Timothy. Second Timothy, if you have a Bible. If you don't nowadays, most people show up without a Bible because they throw it up on the screen. But I didn't give the guy back there uh, my passage. So maybe I will. I'm sort of old-fashioned. I want to get your attention without the help of AIDS and see what happens. Uh, but Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. You remember? He traveled with him. Remember that? he tra- They traveled together. And uh, in Philippians, which was also written from jail, Paul says, there's no one like Timothy that has the same spirit I have. He's like a son to a father, and he, I, he trusted him. A hundred, he said, everybody else is out for themselves. Timothy, no. But a few months later, the theologians tell us, 2 Timothy is the last letter that was written by Paul and is in the New Testament. And in this letter, suddenly you realize that Timothy was going through something funny in his life. Psychologists used to say about 20 years, they used to talk about the midlife crisis. And Timothy probably was between 45 and 50, maybe 55, youngish from some angles, mine, Uh, but you know, he was a fine fellow. But suddenly something happened in Timothy's life. And as we read it, you'll notice what the Word of God says of Paul writing to his son Timothy that he trusted absolutely beautifully. So the five subjects that we're going to talk about is what we as grandpas and grandmas, most of us from the looks of you, a few aunties I'm sure, and so on. But uh, basically things that we should enjoy even in old age to the very end and things that the younger generation needs to see in us. And tonight, the thing I want to just emphasize from Scripture is that we meet men and women on fire, even in old age, even in old age. Like uh, Mike uh, ma- made me tell you about Wednesday night. And Wednesday night, I had like 15, 1,600 teenagers. And I'm 85. Would they listen to me? I was trembling, you know. And they were listening, and the Holy Spirit worked, and almost 200 of them came to Christ this Wednesday night. And I thought, oh, man, I'm an old man, but the kids listen to me. It's very exciting. And, you know, I think sometimes grandparents forget that the kids actually, well, I could get into too many things, but a study done by an insurance company, I don't know why, but they did, kids listen to the grandparents 80% of the time, to their parents 60%, to their peers, only 30%. We worry so much about the influence of peers. We old-timers have a lot to share with our grandkids, so cheer up, stay awake, I'll keep it short. Uh, uh, So you don't pass out with what Mike called the Alzheimer's crowd. Okay, so let's read the word (laughs) for Mike. You got it, this weekend's gonna be rough on you. Yeah, Uh, I always have to pick on someone and you're it. No, yeah, yeah, with due respect, Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And as you read, notice what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's reminding Timothy about the old days when they used to pray together and Timothy cried. He reminds him of his grandma, reminds him of his mother. I mean, he's pulling out all the stops. Something's happened in Timothy's life in the last few months that the Holy Spirit speaks to Paul to really deal with them, And he's even ashamed of Jesus. And ashamed of St. Paul because he was in jail. Interesting. Which means, and we're reading it, get ready. uh, It means that you can drift even as the years go by. And you know, as we get older, we got to watch that we don't drift away. That we don't become a pain in the neck to the pastor or to the elders of the church. Sometimes we old timers are more of a problem than the young kids. The kids bring you grief, but the old timers really make you mad. When you're leading a church, I was an elder till two years ago. I resigned when I got 83. I thought that's long enough, you know, all these years being an elder. But we want us old people to be seen in church as the happiest people, the most trusting people, the most joyful in Jesus Christ. Not often in our circumstances, but in Jesus Christ. Amen. amen. Yeah. Even the Presbyterians say Amen. amen. This, I've heard this several here today. Okay. The word of the Lord. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day... I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and, I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, now here comes the exhortation, I remind you, Timothy, Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. So, don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearance of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, and an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to protect until that day what I have entrusted to him. And now in verse 11, what you have heard from me, keep. Keep. As a pattern of sound teaching. And then the last verse I want you to look at is verse 16 and 17. Here he goes again, exhorting Timothy. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. Okay, here you have a youngish man compared to Paul himself, a youngish man who seemed to be slipping a little bit. You wouldn't have Billy Graham. You remember him, most of you old-timers. If Billy Graham was here, you wouldn't say, Billy, don't be ashamed of Jesus. When was he ashamed of Jesus? Uh, Billy, revive the fire, boy. He's on fire till his last day, two years ago when he went off to heaven. You know, you don't say that to somebody who's just full of life. You don't waste your time telling him to not be ashamed and don't be embarrassed and don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of me. I'm not ashamed, he said, and I'm in prison. And that, something's going on here. And you know, I thought it can happen to any one of us. And it has happened through the years, I'm sure if you're honest, where you can lose the fire. You can lose it. So there are three main points that pop out to me in this passage. First of all, revive the fire. The fire is really the fire of the Holy Spirit. But how interesting, you know, some theologians get worked up and they say revival is a work of God. Man has nothing to do with it. This passage says, Timothy revive the fire of the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of my hands. There's a responsibility to us old timers that the young people see in us, even in old age, when the body is slowed down, the hair is gone gray, and you wobble up the steps, and uh, you stumble and smash your nose like I did, and you do stupid things from old age, but in your spirit, you're renewed. You know it says, the Bible says, uh, though the outer nature is wasting away. Remember that, Second, Second Corinthians chapter 4? The outer nature, nature is wasting away. But the inner nature is being renewed day after day after day. So the old body stumbles and falls and shows signs of old days. But inside, man, we are super renewed. Because we are renewed every day. The young kids have it over us when it comes to physical stuff. I was watching... Uh, uh, your assistant, but Garrett, running around. And I thought, boy, if I do that, I fall on the spot. I mean, it would be a pitiful sight, you know. Uh, he just jumped and ran away and jumped up. Uh, I used to be able to do that in the old days. Now I go, I look at every step. I, I may look like an old man because I am an old man, but I ain't going to fall no more, you know. So help me God. Uh, and he better help me. But, uh, but inwardly, inwardly we are renewed every day. After 85, well, let's say 70 years of, of knowing the Lord, you should be pretty super renewed inside, right? Every day renewed. And T- Timothy obviously was losing it. So even heroes of the faith, even a man of God like Timothy, that Paul trusted so much that he sent him to settle affairs in Ephesus, to settle, uh, put, appoint elders in some places. Uh, on another occasion, he sent Titus. But Timothy was a trustworthy young man Serving the Apostle Paul who led him to Christ and circumcised him, etc. Uh, Nevertheless, he had slid away. And you know, it can happen at two levels. Your own spiritual walk. And also, it can be missions. uh, uh, What some people call mission drift. Where you begin to sort of drift as far as the basics. And you get a little loosey-goosey in uh, uh, applying scripture to reality today. We old timers have to be an example. First, that we are revived in the truth of the Word of God. Don't play games with the truth of God. The younger generation needs to see that we've known the Lord when we were singing Blessed Assurance. Thanks for the worship. It was great. It reminded me of Cliff Barrows, who was Billy Graham's song leader. In many of the crusades, as they called them in those days, they would start with a choir singing Blessed Assurance. It's just a beautiful song. You know, but the Blessed Assurance needs to be caught by the younger. Younger pastors, I have found, to much to my surprise, actually like to meet with you And I suggest that if you fellows, particularly the men, but you women too, as a couple maybe, uh, invite the pastor out to lunch, pay for the lunch, don't be stingy, and uh, and then bless him, Uh, tell him the good sermon on Sunday, usually once a month. The sermon's good. So take advantage of that one and make a big noise of that one. Now, I, I do it to my pastor. Don't tell him. Don't send a copy of the tape. But I do. I send him a, a, an email when he's done a good one, which is about once a month. Uh, I, I tell him, hey, that was terrific. You were scriptural, good outline. I can't forget it. Three Fs, uh, da, da, da. You know, so then when I have something a little less happy to talk about, I've earned a little credibility, you know, pay for the lunch. Be nice, be loving, and then lay it on. Because actually, they actually actually love you. I've been surprised. I thought, now that I'm old, and I can't travel like I used to, and we turned over the big crusades to one of our sons who's really anointed, Andrew, who was the naughty boy in the family, but now he's a saint. You know, to to realize that your own sons are men of God is quite surprising, you know. See, that's my kid. I remember what he did in Cali, Colombia, you know. Uh, I don't remember what he did at Mount Herman that we had to hide. And you know, and but now he's a man of God, you know. So I thought people are gonna say, yeah, he's a has been. Great, write a book about your life. What else have we got to do? You know. But the fact is they want counsel, they want encouragement, and they look for it. So don't step away. Don't step back. Even if you say, Well, I'm a nobody, we're all nobodies, don't kid yourself. But we know the Lord and he's somebody, and we can bless him. And I find that they're looking for all the people who are still on fire, even though the old body doesn't keep up with the speed of the Spirit, but in the Spirit, you are a joyful and a blessing to the congregation. The boys at front need us old-timers. And I think we need to be reminded of that and, and, and believe it that the Lord will use you fellows and you lovely sisters in Christ in, in a big way because, you know, It's worth being on fire for Christ. There's so much bad news in the press. Right now, the political propaganda on both sides is just so disagreeable. People are using crude language, insulting each other. And the more you insult, the more publicity you get. So here we go. And, you know, we are supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we old-timers can be an example to the younger generation. The Lord is still on His throne. Amen? Amen. Uh-huh. Is he overruling in the affairs of men? Yes. Does he have a purpose for history? Yes. One of the weaknesses, I'll say this, I think of this generation, is the lack of teaching on prophecy and on eschatology, on second coming, which gives you perspective on world events, you know. So, but you and I can't do it, but we can pray. And whenever they do it right, encourage them. So. Revive the fire, brothers and sisters, is the first message that comes from here. And if it happened to Timothy that he lost the fire, then it can happen to you and to me. If Timothy converted through the Apostle Paul, baptized by the Apostle Paul, traveled with the Apostle Paul, if he drifted a little bit at least enough for Paul to get pretty serious with him, how much much you and I in America in 2020. So the first thing is revive the fire. The second thing you notice, I'm sure you did when we were reading it, is timidity is not of God. Whenever you feel timid, whether in sharing your faith or even encouraging your pastor or the youth pastor or the junior high pastor or whatever, uh, if you feel timid, One thing you can chalk it off on, this is not of the Lord. Because it says, scripturally it says, uh, God has given us a spirit not of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control, or a sound mind. Timidity. And you know, I think we all get timid because we see our own weaknesses. Wednesday night I went and preached to these students, and and I was as nervous as a cat. You know, and I spoke in like... Seventy-five countries to billions of people, but he has 1,500 students. And I thought, yeah, I trust my, the Lord, but I don't trust myself, you know. And you, you feel a certain timidity. And then the Lord reminded me, hey, you're going to talk to the people of Mount Hermon about timidity is not of God. You better shape up. And I did. I said, Lord, uh. I, I'm, not, I'm timid, but not about you. It's about me, you know. But timidity. You know, my wife and I, we made a decision that our doctor told us not to do. Soon as I had my cancer, we moved to a smaller house, which was a good move in the end, but it was a bit iffy at the beginning. And now the neighborhood is only people 55 and over allowed there, so no children, no grandchildren. It's kept to swim for two hours a day in summer, bye-bye. You know, and if, you, uh, if there's kids around, and everybody's old. I mean, it's 55 and over. Most of us, I think, are 70 and over. And so the big excitement in the morning is who's walking whose dog? <laughs> And uh, did did so-and-so's dog poop on my yard, and did they put on the gloves and pick up? Wonderful stuff, you know. And the next thing is, what model walker are they pushing? You know, I mean, literally, that's about all the excitement in town. And the guys who go to golf down the road across the street, they, but they're going in their carts, you know, so they show off like they're young. But they're not young, they're old also. And so. The, the, that's the excitement in the neighborhood. But you know, actually, I found something. You know, I'm a preacher, okay? So I travel and we preach to multitudes. But all the time my life is travel, travel, travel. Now I'm stuck in this over 55 neighborhood. And I, I thought, oh, my. so now I've got to practice what I preach for 60 years, you know. Befriend the neighbors, have coffee with them, take them to lunch, stop and talk to them, don't get in the car to pick up the mail, walk and pick up the mail, you know, and that kind of thing. And I've been so surprised at the openness, you know. And so Spurgeon was a famous British preacher, and he said, the pulpit is the coward's castle. From behind the pulpit, you would rail, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. In practice, you're a little weasel, you know. I mean, but behind the pulpit, you're a tiger. Hey, let's evangelize the town and win souls. When did you witness life for Jesus? You know. And now here I am in this neighborhood, and I thought, okay, we bought the house from a Muslim, Muslim. Here we go, a Mormon family, and the fellow, the gentleman, a famous doctor. He's delivered hundreds of babies in the neighborhood. So they moved back to Salt Lake, and they sold the house, and we bought it. And uh, I didn't realize that people know me a little bit more than I thought in Portland. So they left a letter. And the letter said, welcome to our home. I hope everything works out. Uh, We we heard about your cancer, and we're praying for you. We're Latter-day Saints, Mormons, parenthesis. And we pray for you, and we believe that God heals the sick, and so on. So, man, it was, I thought, oh wow, one of the Mormon leaders for the Pacific Northwest, they were praying that the Lord would heal me. So, uh, that was interesting. And then we found out a few weeks later, that the the wife of the the, the family uh, attended a Bible study at our church, which is called Cedar Mill Bible Church. Sounds like that, a seminary. And uh, here they are, Mormons, praying for my healing. And she was attending, well, nobody knew it, a bunch of ladies having their Bible study, even though they are leaders in the Pacific Northwest. I thought, Wow. God is doing something, and I'm becoming aware of it. I'm not a shouting evangelist anymore. Now I'm the little boy walking down the street, and everybody wants to talk. They're all bored stiff. You know, and uh, you go and pick up the mail about 100 yards, and that's a sure conversation. I went the other day. A buddy of mine who's a believer has a Mercedes convertible, and he's sort of the big guy in the neighborhood. And uh, I saw this similar thing, except... His is red, and this one was black, but I didn't notice it at the time. I thought it was my buddy Bud Lindstrand. And I said, hey, Bud. And the guy w- rose out the window, and I realized it wasn't Bud. It was another guy with a similar, uh, what, Mercedes-Benz. And uh, so I had to do something to cover that I didn't know who he was. So I said, "Who? Oh, what a nice car you got. He said, hey, come on, get over here. So I walk over, and he said, how's your health? And I said, well, you know, the treatment, I talk about the cans, and I'm going to heaven. I always take advantage to sock it to them. I mean, you know, I told people to do it, now I'm doing it myself. And uh, so he says, well, you know, in our church we're praying for you, and we are hoping that God will heal you. Hey, they showed you a movie the other day in our church, and I missed it. Where can I get a copy? And I thought, he must be Presbyterian. He's dressed well, suntanned, and a Mercedes Presbyterian. There's no question. So... I said, hey, what's your church? Sunset Presbyterian, which is just a mile or two down. He said, no, I go to Pope Pius the tenth the Catholic Parish. Yikes. So he, the Catholic church is showing the movie, praying for my healing. And I thought, wow, this is some experience. It gets very exciting, you know. I mean, uh, all the theory that I preach from the pulpit is suddenly becoming real in the neighborhood. We got a real sort of negative Baptist in the neighborhood too. Uh, she's, she's upset for reasons that I won't tell you. But uh, the fact is that it's amazing how if you're available and you just are not embarrassed, just talk normally. To me, it gives me a great advantage. People always sort of, when you say, I got... The, the, you know, terminal cancer, incurable, <laughs> you know, you get loved by everybody because if he'll be gone, might as well be nice to him, you know, <laughs> I suppose that crosses their mind. But it gives you a great chance to, without any sense of, what did I call it, timidity, timidity. And you know, it's amazing. The conversation can get rolling, and people will tell you, well, he, I, uh, the other day we had a reception. The other day was about three months ago. And uh, <laughs> so they said uh, they were going to have dinner in the neighborhood. They have these parties, you know. And they said, well, I suppose we should have a prayer. Uh, Mr. Palau, you should do the prayer. Okay. So I prayed in Jesus' name, you know, like you do at the Prayer breakfast in Washington. For all of us, for those of us who believe in you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. And then a bunch of people start talking to you. And the doors, so I want to encourage you that don't allow timidity timidity is not of god and you know when you open up you'll be a surprise at the stuff that will happen to in your experience i have found it to be very real to me in these last two years i don't know how long the lord has been here but the doctor said you know your tumor hasn't grown so you could live longer than most of these other people i always used to say i'd live to be 92 because george Mueller, one of my heroes from the old days i didn't meet him but he was old Uh, he was a prayer man, and he died at 92. And I thought, I'm going to live to be 92. Maybe it's going to happen. Makes no difference to you, I know. But (laughs) the fact is that to me, it's a very interesting thought that maybe it'll, but however it is, I'm not preaching all that much, but it's great to be able to witness to people about the Lord. And you can be quite bold. So if you're sick, use your sickness, not to moan, but uh, as an open door to Stick the spiritual knife in by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, timidity is not of God. Timidity. So, whenever we feel timid, we should say, Lord, please forgive me. This is embarrassing. Am I ashamed of you? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. The mighty name of Jesus. What a beautiful name. Am I ashamed of Jesus? You know? Ashamed of Jesus, can it be? I shame the one who died for me. There's an old hymn that goes like that. You know, uh, timidity, blow it away and say, Lord, take away timidity. Make me a humbly open, ready to talk. Anybody opens the door, move right in. In the name of, it may be your last chance to give them the good news. The third thing is uh, in reviving the fire, to ascertain that timidity is not of God. Therefore, what is of God? The Spirit of God. And look at what he says. Three things. Did you notice? It's holy boldness. That's what it is. He says, the Spirit of power, the Spirit of love, and the Spirit of self-discipline, the NIV says, self-control, some translations, a sound mind, the King James. It's all part of the same thing. The first thing is, God has given us a Spirit of power, which means authority. Authority. And you know, brothers and sisters, most of you, I'm sure, are not preachers or teachers. Maybe you teach Sunday school or Bible study fellowship. But nevertheless, you may feel, you know, I don't have any authority i got no background. I'm meeting with a medical doctor who's come to the Lord relatively recently. And he's just fired up for Jesus Christ. And he's bright beyond words. And we meet once a week. He's in San Diego this week. And uh, he is so fired up for the Lord. I mean, he is so open with his colleagues and the neighborhood and everything. Uh, He's amazing, you know. Because he has learned that he actually has the authority of the Holy Spirit. Not the authority of being a medical doctor, which is a privilege and does open a few doors for people. People trust their doctor. I know my wife does trust my doctor more than me and uh, agrees with him more than me, which is humbling but probably correct. But the truth is this. We have authority. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I was thinking of that verse that you might remember when the Lord says, As the Father has sent me, so I have sent you. Now he's not talking to the apostles only there. He's talking to fellows just like you and me, and ladies just like you guys. Uh Uh-huh. The Lord says, as the Father has sent me, I have sent you. That's a lot of authority. You have it straight from Jesus Christ Himself. And by the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have. And I think that many of us would be less bashful if we think about. The self-image we have about ourselves as witnesses for Christ. Uh-huh. I, I made a little list, just I'll give it to you quickly. The first thing is, remember this. When the Lord says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. You remember he says in Corinthians, we are ambassadors for Christ. Remember that, chapter 5? And you as a woman, you as a man, whatever your age, your background, your uh, you know, whatever profession you live by, your where you made a living and all that, in the spiritual realm has very little importance because the Holy Spirit uses us as He pleases. And the authority of an ambassador. Have you met ambassadors? I'm sure some of you have. I have met a few. And you know there's a certain authority that an ambassador has. They usually dress better than most of us. Shining shoes, you know. They have cash. They usually buy their way into this thing. And uh, it's, that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But uh, they are... Representing their country and representing their president or king. And it really gives you a sense of grandeur. I'm an ambassador for Christ. And if you're still working, which most of you don't look like you are, but uh, outside the home, that is, uh, you know, uh, you have authority. And in the neighborhood, you may see yourself as a nobody, but no, you're an ambassador for Christ. Jesus says that as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So, Be humble in the neighborhood. Be friendly. But when the moment comes, lower the boom. You know, I mean, you're an ambassador. An ambassador receives a message from his president, and he has to spit it out. He doesn't create the message. He doesn't uh, invent it or change it. If he does, he'll be out of a job fast, ask Mr. Trump. And, uh, you know, you lose your job quickly if you disobey what your president tells you to tell. You're an ambassador. The second word that came to me from Scripture is, I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men to me are the very opposite of an ambassador. Fishermen smell like fish. And they love to fish. And there's uh, single fishing, you know, rod fishing. And then there's net fishing. I like net fishing myself. You know, having campaigns and bring them in by the 200 at a time. But you also... Uh, a fisherman likes to catch one fish. And if they don't catch a fish, don't ask them. They'll be mad at you. A fisherman like to catch fish. That's what they live for. Our son Andrew loves to fish for souls, but he also loves fishing. And when he catches something, you don't have to ask him. He'll send you a picture of this massive fish, which they lift up about two feet ahead so it looks bigger than it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they send you the picture, and they are all happy, and we ate it. Ah, da, da, da da He was in Jamaica, and he caught this big one. It was amazing. But fishermen... Love to fish. And, a, and a, a, a sent one by Jesus Christ wants to catch people for heaven, for eternal life. So you're a fisher of men because as the Father sent Jesus, so you have authority. We receive, a, I'll mention the others quickly. We are uh, fa- farmers. We sow and we reap. And you sow the word, and the farmer has to wait for the rain to come, for the sun to shine, for the right moment to come. Then you come and bring in the harvest. But you're a, a farmer. And you're being used by God in that sense of planting seeds. Another one that I saw in Scripture is uh, troublemakers. When you give the gospel, once in a while, some people get pretty upset. That's all right. You've got to be ready for it. Those who've turned the world upside down, they said about St. Paul, uh, I've come here also saying there's another King Jesus, you know. We, people think sometimes that we're troublemakers. But with humility, we continue to do what we are told to do by the Lord. I also want to mention another one. And that is, I love this one. In Romans 15, the Apostle Paul says, uh, The priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel. When you're giving John 3.16 and John 10.28 and 1 Corinthians 15, you're not just throwing Bible verses at people. You are being a priest of God. It is sacred work. To give the good news is not just a Baptist trying to get Presbyterians to go to the Baptist church or trying to get a Mormon or or whatever into your church. No, no, no. You are doing priestly work. It's sacred work. To give the good news is a sacred job. You're a priest at that moment delivering God's message to a person. They may not have got you that way, but in the eyes of the Lord, that's what you are. You're a priest. And then I'll mention one more, though there's more you're a firefighter. I like that. I found that one in Jude. At the end of Jude, it says, you know, save some by snatching them from the fire. I mean, there's a firefighter, and you have authority to try and snatch them from the fire. We all admire firefighters, men and women nowadays, who save people from the fire at the risk of their own life. Well, in the eyes of the Lord, you're a firefighter trying to get people out from the fires of hell and being forever lost. So see yourself as snatching people from the fire. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Uh, And so when you catch that, you then see yourself in a different light from what you, oops, 926? My goodness, old age. Uh, Okay. (laughs) The second thing is not only the spirit of power, which is authority, but love. And you know, really, it is in the end love that motivates you to share the good news. The Lord has done such beautiful things for us. Huh? Uh, I've lived all, I came to the Lord when I was 12. My dad had died when I was 10. And ever since I then, some 73 years ago, I love Jesus Christ. God is my Father. He's been so good to us. All through these decades, when I was single, then married, my five sisters, my little brother, you know, all of us. The Lord has been so good. Love moves us to want to give them the good news. And we should present it that way. And tomorrow or the next day, we'll talk about the work of the Holy Spirit that goes before us to make it easy, so to speak, for us to share the good news But the spirit of love. And then the spirit of self-control. The spirit of self-control. And, you know, we need to renew that sense in our old age, not to forget. We can be upset about the way they do worship or about the way the preacher preaches or, you know, my pastor is a fabulous guy. We love him. But he comes with jeans that look he bought him at the Salvation Army for 50 cents. You know what I mean? And uh, with holes in it and the shirt sticking out. And my thought is, is that the way St. Paul would dress? And the answer probably is yes. You know, uh, and it's just that I don't like it. I like people dressed preppy, you know, like respectful. But it's not to be oh, the music is loud. Yeah. Some people say, in our age, you know, I can't hear. And then when the music is loud, the music is too loud. (laughs) I thought you couldn't hear. Now now, suddenly the music is too loud. You know, so that's when we old timers become a pain in the neck uh, in the local church. But the fact is self-control, the spirit of self-control. So that what we say as old timers, sometimes we get loosey-goosey. I do. And my wife rebukes me she's God's enemy in the camp and you know and she, she correct me and that's good because you get loosey-goosey at all age you say stuff that you wouldn't have said in better days so i think the spirit of self-control is a great gift of god that he gives us by the holy spirit but you know so let's begin tonight it's over 9:29. Uh, why didn't you signal yeah uh the um uh the the concept of revive the fire if you've lost a little bit of the fire, revive it, lady. If you've lost a bit of the fire, one of you guys, go to the Lord this weekend and say, Lord, on Valentine's weekend, I want my fire, my love to be on fire. I want to be on fire to share the good news. I don't want to end up sort of drifting into nothingness. I want to finish high in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, I want to finish with this story just because I remembered it today and it may be useful. There was an evangelist whose name I won't mention. I'll just mention the first name, Chuck. But there was 70, not nobody around here, by the way. Uh, he was, apparently, I never met him, but he was a handsome guy, articulate. They said he could have been a movie star. And Billy Graham was about a year or two younger than him. And Mr. Graham, when he was a young fellow, admired him, watched him, apparently learned from his ways and imitated some of the stuff that this fellow Chuck uh, was was doing. And then one day he decided that he needed to get some theology. So he went to a certain theological education on the East Coast. And when he was there, nobody knows why, nobody knows what happened. He began to suddenly talk against the basic gospel that he'd been preaching. And leading many people to the Lord. And Mr. Graham was a young fellow. And uh, he was watching all this. And suddenly, apparently, this fellow had a stumble, a moral issue at seminary. And he committed, you know, adultery. So then he began to really talk against the gospel. Ah, it doesn't work. Jesus Christ, the Bible. He quit seminary and went into journalism in Canada. And Billy Graham was shaken up by this. And at Forest Home, which is a conference center, sort of like this one, down south, Billy was 28, I think, maybe 29, and he went alone, and he found a stump of a tree, and uh, you may have seen it in his biography. He knelt down by that stump, and he said, oh Lord, I don't know what Chuck has happened to him at that time, he didn't know what had happened, but he's denying your name, he's rejecting the Bible, he says that it doesn't have authority, Lord, I'm shaken up by this. And he opened up his Bible on the trunk of this tree and said, Lord, this is your word. I believe it. I'm going to preach it. If I make mistakes, please correct me. And he surrendered his life to the authority of the Bible. And you old timers remember that Billy's famous phrase was, The Bible says, you know, and he used to shout, The Bible says, the Bible. And God used him with tremendous power. This other fellow drifted, got divorced, drifted into journalism, and he became an atheist. Quite pronounced atheist. There was another fellow called Lee Strobel. And he's a writer and a super Christian guy alive today. He was a journalist in Chicago. And he was an atheist. But he became a believer. And he read about Chuck. So he found out where he was. And he wrote him a letter and said, I'd like to meet with you. Because you used to be a believer. And now you become an atheist. I was an atheist and I become a believer. Can we talk? Lee was smart. He very is smart. So, he went over to see him, and he said, okay, we can talk as long as you don't ask me any personal questions about my relationship with God. So, Lee said to this fellow, Chuck, okay, fine. So, they talked about stuff and Christianity and atheism and so on. Just before they said goodbye, two hours into the conversation, they were saying goodbye and shaking hands. Lee said to him, Mr. So-and-so, what about Jesus? <laughs> And Lee said that he turned around and Chuck was beginning to cry. He was now an old guy. He said, I miss him. Bye-bye. And he was embarrassed that he was crying. And I thought, what a sad way to end, huh? I miss him. But it's also touching. He's probably in heaven, naughty boy that he was, you know. Forgiven by the Lord, by the grace of God. Because when after all these years of claiming you are an atheist, you still say, I miss him. Something inside is real. But you know, brothers and sisters, let's not finish that way. Let's revive the fire. huh? Shake away the sense of timidity. Be open and available for the Lord to use us. And bless the younger generation. They look to you with more interest than you realize. I'm learning that slowly, but I'm learning it. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh God, our Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we think of all the people you've used in our lives, I know in my life, to keep me on the straight and narrow, to exhort me when they saw weaknesses, For my wife, Lord, that reminds me of basic stuff over and over. For all other family members, godly Bible teachers, super pastors that have blessed my life. I praise you, Lord. And I pray that all of us, Lord, here at this conference would so revive the fire of the Holy Spirit that we would be a blessing everywhere we go. Till you take us home to heaven. So tonight Lord. Starting this little weekend. We commit ourselves afresh to you. Revive us O Lord. And we want to be revived. Speak to us. So that we can speak well of you. To other people. And we pray with thanksgiving. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.